You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. Hi, and welcome to SpyCast. From the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Dr. Vince Houghton, the museum's historian and curator. Every week, the museum brings you interesting conversations with authors, scholars, and practitioners who live in the world of global espionage. Join us as we take a closer look at the secret world of intelligence. We are joined today by Ken Vogel, who's a chief investigative reporter for Politico. He has covered politics and government at all levels, from small-town cop shops and school boards to state houses, Congress, and the presidential campaign trail, traveling during the 2008 race with the campaigns of Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Sarah Palin, and Joe Biden. Before joining Politico prior to his 2007 launch, Ken reported for the News Tribune in Tacoma, Washington, the Times leader in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, the Center for Public Integrity in Washington, D.C., and the Journal Inquirer in Manchester, Connecticut. He spent most of 2006 learning about the U.S. Congress from the inside through an American Political Science Association fellowship that let him work on the staffs of two House committees. He's won awards from the Association of Capital Reporters and Editors, the Society of Professional Journalists and Investigative Reporters and Editors. He's analyzed politics on CBS, CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, National Public Radio, and radio and television stations around the country. He's also the author of Big Money, $2.5 billion, One Suspicious Vehicle, and a Pimp on the trail of the ultra-rich hijacking American politics, which came out in June of 2014. And it chronicles the characters and motivations behind the explosion of unlimited money in politics after the Supreme Court's 2010 Citizens United decision. Now, I'm a bit of a political junkie, which is hard not to be when living here in Washington. And so I've read several of Ken's articles, but an article he wrote in mid-November really caught my eye and prompted me to invite him here. It was an article about the Koch brothers, who are some of, if not the, most divisive people in American politics. To the American right, billionaires Charles and David Koch are champions of conservative principles, fighting for government deregulation and free enterprise. To the left, they're the ultimate political villain, especially after they pledged to spend a little less than $900 million in a 2016 election to defeat Democrats and liberal causes. There is, of course, nuance, as there always is. The Kochs have given hundreds of millions of dollars to charitable causes, ranging from museums to the arts to universities and educational programs around the country. They're also pro-choice, pro-gay rights, pro-stem cell research, and have worked with the Obama administration and the ACLU on prison and criminal justice reform. But nuance doesn't always carry the day in the world of politics. And so the Koch brothers will continue to be a divisive symbol of modern American politics. Perhaps nothing encapsulates this like Ken Vogel's November article entitled, and here's where the listeners will finally understand why I'm talking about all of this, 
the Koch Intelligence Agency. So thank you, Ken, for joining us here at the International Spy Museum. Hey, it's great to be with you, Vince. So looking at your, your past articles, you're, you're a bit of a Koch Brothers expert, as much as anybody can be, uh, which makes sense since you track the confluence of money, politics, and influence for Politico. Um, can you talk a little bit about your background and the background that got you into looking at these very enigmatic brothers? Yeah, so I've long covered uh, politics at different levels, as you alluded to in the introduction there, uh, covering uh, you know, cops in courts outside of Hartford, Connecticut, and working my way up to covering state legislatures in Pennsylvania, in, uh, in Washington State, in Wisconsin, before moving to D.C. to cover national politics. And each of those steps, I kind of focused on money and politics, the influence of money and politics, the way money floods into the political system in elections, but also in uh, governing and lobbying as sort of a sideline, and I, I always thought that it, it undergirded every story, but uh, that thinking, I think, became a little more widespread, a lot more widespread after the Citizens United right. decision in 2010 that you alluded to, where uh, unlimited money just sort of started flooding into the process and really changing the way that we do politics. Well, again, as you alluded to, the Kochs, the Koch brothers, Charles and David Koch, have really become personifications of the new uh, the new sort of big money politics, and they've almost become the operation that they've built. It's not just their own money. Let me also make mm -hmm. that clear. They, the, their power comes from their own wealth, which is estimated at $40 billion, billion with a B, mm -hmm. each, uh, but also their ability to convene this, this large group of other like-minded conservative donors, you know, Republicans, but even more sort of libertarians mm -hmm. uh, who want to change politics. And they have become almost a party, a political party unto themselves, a privatized political party with many of the capabilities and uh, the, the uh, outreach techniques and the access to politicians that rival those of the official Republican Party. Now, they also, because they are not, they are not um, bound by some of the same uh, right. types of regulations, disclosure requirements, and limits on the amount of money that they can uh, accept into this network of groups that they have and spend through this network of groups that they have, they are able to be a bit more aggressive even than the party. Well, this intelligence agency right. that you allude to uh, is sort of a perfect case in point of that. Yeah, and, and for the listeners out there that are thinking, I brought in a liberal firebrand uh, to rip on the Republicans, uh, your book, uh, which has such an amazing title, uh, was reviewed favorably in the Wall Street Journal, The Economist, uh, The Financial Times, not exactly liberal bastions of analysis. Uh, and, and so I, I think that Politico especially, I mean, I, I, it doesn't necessarily have, it's not Fox News, it's not MSNBC with a direct, you know, lean, let's call it, to one direction or the other. But Politico tends to be center-right in its overall performance. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and kind of bringing that out uh, so that people out there in the world won't think that I, I, I'm, I'm bringing in a pet project here to talk about the Cokes. I mean, uh, I, I would quibble. Certainly there are people who perceive Politico to be center-right or center-left. Uh, I would quibble with that and say that, like, our goal is to be as, as right down the middle as possible. Traditional journalism sort of manifest in the digital age in ways that, you know, I think a, a more uh, 
fair um, criticism could be are sometimes sensationalistic mm. or treat politics more as sport. But right. in my journalism in particular, I try to take a really hard look at some of the phenomena that are affecting uh, politics and uh, sort of to, to your deeper point as it as it pertains to this particular subject, money in politics, I've taken a very hard look at liberal donors mm-hmm. and the coalitions that they have tried to build to respond to this uh, new era of, of uh, big money politics right. after the Supreme Court Citizens United decision. And in fact, they're the, the, the liberal donors are also acutely attuned to the activities of the Kochs and the liberal groups are uh, to the point where they sometimes seem to be obsessing or fixating on the Kochs and trying to respond to the Kochs. Now, this is uh, interesting because if you go back sort of through, uh, say, the last decade when money has really uh, started to flow into the process in different ways, uh, there has been a tendency by both sides to think the other side is doing something right. that we need to play catch up. They have a piece on the chessboard that we don't have, and we need to have that piece. The Kochs believe that, in fact, the left has has uh, done things. The left's big, uh, big money donors, outside groups, labor unions that have tended to, to, to be sympathetic of the left, um, uh, even to some aspects of uh, academia and the media uh, that they believe to be, you know, in the pocket of the left. To put right. it more, more of a point on it. And so, frankly, this effort that I wrote about this intelligence agency stems from. They're concerned that somehow they are behind and that in order to be effective in this new type of big money politics, what they need to do is match the left. And to match the left, they need to figure out precisely what the left is doing in real time. And they didn't think after the 2012 election when they really burst onto the scene both as big money spenders and as liberal bogeymen, bogeymen for liberals as the personification of the corrupting influence of money in politics. They spent $400 million uh, during that election cycle and lost badly. President Barack Obama won re-election. Democrats retained control of the Senate. And they, one of the conclusions that they reached in a forensic analysis that they did after the election of their spending and that of, of all big money spenders and interest groups was that they had sort of been outmaneuvered by the left. And this intelligence effort was, uh, was, an, was an attempt to make sure that even if they were getting outmaneuvered in real time, they could respond and they right. would not be caught unawares of what the other side was doing. Yeah, about a year ago, we had, we had Chuck Todd on SpyCast, and we talked about how intelligence tradecraft has trickled down to political campaigns, uh, things like tracking and opposition research. This seems like that on steroids. I mean, I think in the article itself, uh, you have someone quoted saying this is 10 times the level of any modern political campaign, the amount of resources and time that's being put into this. Uh, is this is this scale something we've ever seen before in politics? I don't think so. And I think actually I, I tend to agree with uh, what Chuck said and what you just articulated there, that increasingly we see sort of tradecraft uh, working its way into campaigns, and we see it manifest itself in sort of what we call oppo, opposition mm-hmm. research. There is an element of that in this intelligence uh, effort that I wrote about on the coast. But where I really think the influence comes from is from the corporate side. And the Kochs have been uh, very open about infusing their political efforts and their efforts to influence public policy with some of the management techniques, some of the resources, tools, even the talent from their multinational industrial conglomerate, Coke Industries, Mm -hmm. which is the second biggest private company in the United States behind only Caterpillar, 
And uh, and this, I think, is one of those ways where right. this bears uh, a lot of uh, the hallmarks of sort of corporate intelligence, right. corporate espionage, well, as more you say, than they call political. It, they call it competitive intelligence. Right, exactly. Uh, and the competitive gets to this point that you were talking about that or that, that I mentioned earlier that they don't that it's it's the competition, it's the left. They want to see what the left right. is doing and. To, to, to date, I have not really seen any evidence that they have used this, uh, the fruits of this effort to plant a hit job on a, a liberal rival right. or a conservative rival, which is really the purpose of opposition research right. in the traditional sense. Instead, it's trying to figure out, hey, uh, if the left is going into this big race in Virginia, or maybe it's not a big race. Maybe it's a house race that uh, was not was not on the radar of many um, many sort of uh, odds makers, pro- political prognosticators, and they detect through this intelligence effort, which includes uh, like geodata tracking. Right. Of- I wanted to ask you about that because it looks it's straight out of what the agencies are doing with open source research, is using social media and geotagging on pictures to be able to find out the location. Yeah. Of, of opposition operatives, and and, and the the way that this could uh, bear itself out in, in in a way that could be useful that got to gets to what I was talking about about responding to the left's efforts is this is the example that was cited to me by the source who flagged that thing about the geodata uh, tracking is that uh, you know it's not enough to sort of look at like the public. Uh, what, what's available publicly, and I say publicly in, in, uh, in, in uh, sort of the sense that what the left or what the, their rival groups are, are actually willingly putting out there mm-hmm. for public uh, consumption or even for consumption within the, within the sort of left, the, the, you know, the closed circuits of the left, right. this is stuff where they would want to see, oh, I see that uh, you know, this union organizer tweeted a photo of – himself and a group of his buddies, his union buddies, at uh, Chick-fil-A. And it doesn't say where the Chick-fil-A is, but when we look at the geodata on the photo, it shows that the Chick-fil-A is in this particular congressional district in Virginia where they would not otherwise be because they're based in Washington, D.C., say southwestern Virginia. And uh, there happens to be a race, a congressional race, that we are paying attention to, but we haven't devoted any resources to in that particular area of southwest Virginia. Well, we should be tracking these folks to see if anything, any other right. indication emerges that they are there in southwestern Virginia for any period of time. That would suggest that that union is perhaps, or that uh, liberal group is perhaps investing in that race in a way that we might need to match if we want to be able to win that race. Right. Well, what I also found interesting inside your article is this idea with intelligence of compartmentalization of information or the need to know. You, you, you talk about the fact that a lot of people, even within the Coke network, don't know that this agency, let's call it that, exists, this intelligence framework. Yeah, and they would get emails. Some of my sources would get emails from this weird address that was at A-M-E-R-S org and they were like, who are these people? And so uh, they called them ASG, and we couldn't figure out what that stood for until we went through the tax filings of one of the, the umbrella groups in the Koch network, a group that's called Freedom Partners Chamber of Commerce. And uh, when we did that, we found that uh, this group referred – that this referred to uh, American Strategies Group, LLC, which is actually 
a for-profit entity that's owned by this nonprofit group that is the umbrella group in the Koch network, and it houses this competitive intelligence group. Uh, it was originally located off-site in one of the sort of clusters of buildings around the Courthouse Metro Station in Northern Virginia, where the Kochs have a lot of their political uh, efforts headquartered. Uh, headquarter now it's uh, it uh, is is sort of more a part of this Freedom Partners, but people would get summoned to this office and they wouldn't be able to find it. People right. within the Coke Network for briefings or to exchange information. And one one source of mine said he was summoned out there, couldn't find it. They finally directed him to it, and he explained, "Yeah, I just couldn't find it." They said, "That's the way we like it." <laughs> what? Well, I mean, just reading it, you have the staff that includes a former CIA analyst. They put out regular intelligence briefings. I mean, if this wasn't about a campaign, this would be exactly what a foreign intelligence agency or a domestic intelligence agency was doing. Yeah, and and I think that uh, they relish that idea a little bit, the comparison, and they, you know, uh, it was they didn't do much boasting about it. Frankly, I had to drag a lot of this mm. information out of them and to, uh, you know, use the tax filings and use sources. And some a source actually provided me one of the intelligence briefings. It was pretty impressive. I see a lot of these, uh, you know, intelligence briefings that. Probably this is also probably a good uh, comparison with with uh, uh, with uh, government intelligence. You know, you see some of these things. Oh, I could have put that together. That's just you know a Google search. But this had some like very granular information about particular races and investments by particular unions and uh, environmental groups that I thought you know maybe maybe if I really put my mind to it, I could have like found some of that stuff. But it struck me as benefiting from on-the-ground resources right. in some of these places. Well, you also write that, that you've, you discovered some of the interest in intelligence about the inner workings of the left wing uh, revealed by secret audio recordings from a uh, June 2014 panel discussion at a closed-door donor gathering. Right. It cuts both ways, obviously. And that's frankly, that's one of the things that they uh, – are concerned about is that they feel like they are getting penetrated by this type of thing that the left is doing this to them right. and so they have to respond and of course you know the, the audio recordings in particular are, have become such a trove I mean there was an audio recording of Mitt Romney at a closed door fundraiser right, right yeah. that really shaped the race I mean arguably it was a turning point in that race uh, leading to Mitt Romney's uh, lost certainly his inability to appeal to some of these swing demographics that were so key that he just lost what they called the empathy right. Uh, battle right there, the cares about me. Um, and so that's another aspect of this intelligence agency, this American Strategies Group. Uh, they are looking for moles within the Koch network. They right. spend a lot of time assessing um, – you know, social media posts of people within the network, of contractors. I have a story in here about how someone was posting anonymously on Reddit uh, from within the Coke network, uh, casting aspersions on the Cokes and the network and some of their policy objectives. And this group, this ASG group, uh, was, was sicked on this to find, sleuth out who this person was who was posting anonymously they were able to triangulate using some of the uh the technical side with also their knowledge of who was working uh, for the for the for the network and their previous social media monitoring and they located this person in less than 48 hours and this person was gone right well one thing we talked you talked about the secret audio recordings and what was revealed in those secret audio recordings is that the coke somehow had gotten their hands on internal secret documents from a group called democracy alliance 
And so it was spying on a group to discover that that group had been spying on the left back and forth. I mean, it just never ends. It's, it's, to me, right. it's wonderful. But yeah, yeah, uh, no, it definitely it, it sounds like a plot, uh, you know, of uh, – uh, just watch the uh, now by the time this airs the season finale of Homeland yes. will have uh, aired but uh, it, it definitely struck me that way and you know in that in that audio recording um, you know I mentioned previously that the the left and some of these liberal donors and liberal groups are obsessed with the Cokes. I think it becomes clear uh, that this this uh, high-ranking lawyer within Coke Industries, who also is active in the Coke political network, who is presenting to the donors in this audio recording these documents, that he is quite obsessed with what the left is doing as well. So you talked, we kind of alluded to counterintelligence, for lack of a better word, the idea that the Coke brother network is focusing on an, uh, insider threats on people giving information out from within. Uh, they're also tracking, according to your article, people deemed suspicious outside of the offices. You have, you know, so there is a, a physical security element to this where they're worried that there's spies outside. You've already talked about the idea that the offices themselves are very difficult to find. Um, uh, you know, can you talk a little bit about this, what I would call a counterintelligence role of this Koch Brothers Intelligence Network? Yeah, sure. I mean, they. Uh, are right to assume that people, people, me in the media, people, liberals, uh, are fascinated with what uh, what they're doing. And so it would make sense for someone to try to plant a mole. In fact, there was a story that yeah. came out uh, uh, a few weeks after my story suggesting that a liberal group, in fact, had planted right. a mole inside the Koch network. Uh, and so – they are very, very anxious about uh, about the, that possibility about emails leaking. Right. I've been told after I've written uh, s- certain stories that uh, there were comprehensive searches on their servers to see, like, if the if the language I used in the stories to refer to some phenomenon uh, tracked with any of the um, any of the language that had been sent in emails, so they could determine who the source was. Right. Um, there also have been instances of them tracking reporters. Uh, uh, I, in fact, the suspicious vehicle in the title of my book refers to a run-in that I had at the uh, April 2013 Coke Donor Seminar out in the uh, in the desert in uh, California, in Indian Wells, California, where I snuck into one of their meetings and was eventually uh, found out by security and escorted off the premises and. When they escorted me out to my car, they ended up calling and reporting my vehicle as suspicious to the Riverside County Sheriff, <laughs> who then followed me around. And uh, and so there, there are other instances, uh, for instance, of um, Jane Mayer is a reporter for The New Yorker. She's written extensively about uh, the Coke Network and actually has a book coming out in January about them. And she has alleged that uh, they tried to plan a story about her plagiarizing other uh, other stories about the Cokes and ran all of her work through like this sophisticated plagiarism software. Um, so you know, the, the, there's definitely uh, I think there's paranoia among the folks who interface with the Cokes right. to some extent, and maybe some paranoia within the Coke right. network as well. Well, one thing I think is interesting, and you're you're not. I'm not going to ask you to reveal sources. Even if I did, I know you're going to laugh in my face because you're a very good journalist. Um, but getting this information, I imagine, wouldn't have been as easy as a phone call or an email address because uh, their the paranoia with potential moles means, I, I assume, that they're not leaving digital footprints behind communicating with you and other reporters. I mean, in the Hill piece, which you referred to, they actually talk about the idea that 
uh, old-fashioned, let's call it human intelligence, was the key behind their article because the Cokes have intense internal surveillance of electronic things like emails and phone calls. Yeah, that's right. And I, I talk to a lot of folks who are sources who are either within that network or uh, outside their former uh, 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 consultants or employees uh, that dealt with the network. And almost to a person, they do not want to uh, exchange emails with me. Uh, they do not want me to exchange texts. They'll uh, you know, suggest that I call, that I text them with some kind of euphemistic, uh, you know, uh, message, and that then we'll we'll talk on the phone. You know, I don't know. Apparently, no one is concerned that the phone calls are being tracked because right. uh, that would be the next level, I assume. Yeah, and one of the interesting things I, I see is that when asked whether it was from you talking to the people, uh, your sources, or the the Hill article. Um, you almost get the Glomar response from the people within these networks, like neither confirming nor denying that these programs exist. I mean, there's the, 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 the spokesperson for American Bridge, which is the nonprofit arm of the anti or the counter coke operation. Uh, basically, that was the response. Yeah, well, I, we can neither confirm nor deny that this is actually taking place. I mean, on the record, are you getting those kind of responses? Like you can only kind of talk off the record. Yeah, and I think that that extends, uh, you know, throughout politics in particular. Where people are like especially savvy to how some of this could be perceived, and certainly. My story, though, I think it's nuanced and sort of explains the justifications for why they might want to do this, was glommed onto by the left as proving that the Cokes were right. engaged in some kind of unsavory activity. And so uh, they don't want to have their finger, even if they're acknowledging it, even if they're talking off the record, they don't want to have their finger. They don't want to be seen as like bragging about something like this. Now, right. it's a fine line because a lot of these political efforts are, in fact, funded by donors or, in some cases, where they are for-profit uh, entities, investors who are basically donors, politically interested investors. Uh, and those folks do want to see some uh, results of their donations right. or their investment. And so if you are claiming to be uh, as uh, this American Bridge Group, which is run by David Brock, who is uh, the former Clinton – uh, self-described right-wing hitman turned Clinton enforcer, um, you know, then you need to be able to show, if you're running a group that says it's going after the Cokes, you need to be able to prove to these donors, hey, this is what we produced. And whether it's having the results of uh, this alleged mole who is inside the Coke network and being able to show the donors, hey, we got this great piece of intel, right. in which case – that creates a wider network for me as a journalist to potentially penetrate and find a donor who's willing to talk about what uh, the the group and David Brock uh, were able to get from inside. Uh, and then additionally, um, you know, they might want to show, in fact, they usually do want to show some tangible results in the form of, look, here's we got this information and here's what we did with it. Here's how it was helpful, you know, to our side, to what you're funding. Either it allowed us to, as I put it before, put a piece on the chessboard where the other side had a piece and we did it, or it allowed us to plant a story. Uh, David Brock's group famously took credit for um, digging up uh, some of uh, David Koch's writings or some of his um, uh, work when he was active in the Libertarian Party back in the late 70s. He was actually the vice Libertarian President, Party's yeah. vice presidential yeah. nominee in 1980. And, 
the New York Times did a front page story about sort of the genesis of David Koch's political philosophy that used a lot of archival material that David Brock's American Bridge Group had dug up. And they actually, this is sort of a, a rare thing, you seldom see the fingerprints on, on a story like that in the actual story, but they actually, the Times credited mm-hmm. American Bridge with digging up this uh, trove of information. And so, you know, you ask yourself, why would they do that? You know, if they just, if they wanted to be a more effective, powerful story, they would just leave themselves out of it and not create the possibility for the Cokes to come back and say, oh, that's just a politically motivated right. story. But I think it's a donor play. They got to be able to show the donors, here's how your money funding our efforts can actually affect the debate. Well, and, and, and in both your article and the article in The Hill, actually, plus others out there, you see elements of things like, for lack of a better word, talking about disguise, where people are dressing up like middle-aged businessmen to sneak into you know, conservative donor parties and vice versa when it comes to what was um, the, the now turned out to be somewhat fraudulent, but the, uh, the guy getting all the, the, the video. Oh, uh, the acorn pimp. Yeah, the acorn right. pimp guy, right? So you see elements of disguise to, to infiltrate these organizations. Yeah, we. I mean, I. Uh, I would never misidentify myself as a reporter. You know, I'm, I'm uh, uh, bound by journalistic right. ethics that I take seriously. But it is, in fact, true that what you know that that uh, meeting that I went to, where I got kicked out of, and they reported my car as suspicious. I thought to myself in advance, like. Let's see, how could I best blend in at this meeting without calling attention to myself uh, and having been around and actually crashed prior uh, Coke donor seminars? I thought, well, I'm not going to come across as like a a major donor. I don't think that there's many major donors who are my age. I'm 40. Uh, You know, they tend to be older uh, folks and, you know, very sort of conservatively dressed. And so I thought, well, you know, like it's the operatives, the folks who are either, you know, implementing the plans or begging for the money from the donors where I could conceivably look like someone who might be in that demographic and they wear pressed khakis and tucked in polo shirts, which is not my normal style. I like right. to think I'm a little hipper than that, but that's what I wore. Uh, blue blazer, you know, pressed khakis, brown loafers, because I thought that would be the way to draw the least amount of right. attention to myself. And so you extrapolate outward and people who are less concerned about misrepresenting themselves might take further steps to blend right. in. And at these Coke donor seminars, uh, th- there have also been these recordings that you mentioned where despite all these efforts to uh, determine that everyone who's there belongs and a very tight security, people have recorded these things, naturally drawing attention to some of the wait staff or servers. And so at right. these – since then, they have become very diligent about – making everyone, including uh, the wait staff and the bartenders and the valets, but even the attendees, the donors themselves, put their phones or any kind of electronics in a bin outside of right. these strategy sessions where they go into uh, to sort of talk about some of the sensitive stuff because they are that concerned about about recordings. There's a guy who got the 47% recording. Wasn't he part of the Yeah, the he was a bartender. Staff? Yeah, yeah. Um, and even in uh, some of these recordings that I relied on, which you know they uh, we did not obtain, they were obtained by a liberal blogger who uh, uh, Lauren Windsor, who uh, posted them on her blog, which is uh, Lady Libertine, and then also on some liberal websites. She did stories based on it. She would not reveal uh, her source, and in fact, there were 
what appeared to be strategic breaks in the audio uh, that, uh, you know, you could imagine would be an effort by her, understandably, to, uh, to, to weed out any kind of audio that would allow a listener to determine, right. oh, that is, you know, a conversation between a waiter and this donor or this donor and that donor or whomever. Right, someone asking for a drink from right. it's obviously directly into the microphone. Um, this is not something new. I mean, opposition research and tracking and in using some of these techniques and intelligence uh, – intelligence techniques and politics have been around for a little while. It seems in this case the Koch brothers are really codifying this as an institution. Do you see as money continues to grow and grow and grow? You know, the last election was a multi-billion dollar election. It looks like the 2016 election, whether it's Trump or someone else, will be a multi-billion dollar election. Uh, until something, someone does something with Citizens United, do you see more things like this in the future? Is there going to be a George Soros intelligence agency coming up or, or a, or a Hollywood-based left media – I'm trying to think of all the boogeymen for the, for the right wing uh, – intelligence agency popping up in the future? Do you see this as precedent? Uh, short answer, Yes. Slightly longer answer. In fact, Soros is a donor to this American Bridge group that David Brock runs that is spying on the Cokes, or at least some of the David Brock groups Soros has been a donor to. And then even longer answer, yes, uh, you know, there, there are already groups on the left and the right who specialize in opposition research. Uh, a very prominent one that, uh, that I should mention on, on the uh, right is this America Rising. It's both a, a nonprofit group, a super PAC, and an LLC, a for-profit company. And it does business with campaigns and uh, political party committees that want to essentially outsource this work of tracking candidates, of, of digging through archival material. And while they are uh, much more discreet, I think, certainly than American Bridge bragging about their mole inside the Koch network, their fingerprints are the fingerprints of, of, of sort of similarly situated Republican opposition researchers have been detected uh, in, in the 2014 race, for instance, on a number of very key stories, including one that uh, forced the resignation or, or uh, forced uh, the uh, senator from Montana, Walsh, to withdraw from his reelection campaign because his thesis was found to be uh, plagiarized. And, um, you know, that's the type of thing that no reporter really has the time to go to whatever, you know, college this, this uh, thesis was at uh, in Montana and dig through the archives to compare it. But there is an interest, uh, you know, by the Republican Party and, and, and its candidates and its party committees and its allies to do this type of thing and the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. um, and so the combination of uh, sort of outsourcing this to a given group that has an economy of scale that can sort of do this type of stuff and by virtue of like specialized develop expertise in it that allows them to do it better and Citizens United and some of these comparable decisions that have really opened the floodgates to allow groups like this to accept unlimited funding, the confluence of those two things. And the third thing then being, of course, that everyone is doing it. So if you're right. not doing it, you're putting yourself at a huge disadvantage. You take those three things and put them together. And yes, I think we're really just seeing the dawn of this big money opposition research political intelligence era. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a Cold War historian, and this really brings – the, the, back the idea of like the bomber gap or the missile gap where we can't allow the other side to get an advantage in a strategic you know 
weapon system in this case, intelligence is, becomes a strategic weapon, and you have this back and forth. They're ahead, we're ahead thing. I, I wonder. I mean, this is a question. And some of that is yeah. for effect. Some of it is like to scare your side's right. big donors to be like, hey, if we don't match what they're doing, we're going to be screwed. But then it does take on sort of a race. Uh, for the purpose of itself to some extent like you see or like I see in depictions of intelligence where like you're spending all this time and effort just to penetrate the other side's intelligence and they're doing the same right. to you and who really has the upper hand, it's impossible to know. So I, I want to take this, this conversation, which has been fantastic, a bit toward the absurd. And one last final uh, point to have a conversation about uh, is the – uh, the, the story is now peaking out, and this is going to become very dated in a couple months, but the stories that have been popping out from, like, the Bush campaign and others, that uh, Donald Trump is a left-wing plant in the Republican primary. It, it's ridiculous, but it's a lot of fun to kind of think about, this idea that the Clinton campaign with this mysterious phone call from Bill Clinton right before Trump announced he was running as a Republican and his over-the-top campaigning have made it uh, – someone from within one of the campaigns said – if he was trying to help Hillary Clinton win, he'd be doing exactly the same things that he's doing now. I know this is kind of out there, uh, but you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, I'll say, regardless of this particular story, Donald Trump has been a godsend for us of the yeah. political media. I mean, he may be bad for democracy. You know, he may be bad for racial and religious tolerance. But just as a pure news story, he cannot be beat. Um, you know... Second of all, I would say uh, whether or not he's, he's a plan, I mean, I find that sort of far-fetched, but uh, it, the effect is kind of the same thing, you know, right. whether he's a plan or not. It's like the, 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 the comment that you uh, referenced uh, by a rival campaign sort of speaks to this idea that, like, he is having a deleterious effect on Republicans' chances of retaking the White House. Uh, so whether that's because... Bill Clinton put him up to it or he just, you know, had to be in his body and decided this was something that he wanted to do. It almost doesn't matter. Well, Ken Vogel is a chief investigative reporter for Politico. He's the author of a wonderfully titled book, Big Money, $2.5 billion, One Suspicious Vehicle and a Pimp on the Trail of the Ultra-Rich Hijacking American Politics. Thank you, Ken, for taking the time to talk to us here today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. And we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. You can get in touch with us through email at spycast at spymuseum.org. Thank you, and we will see you next month. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now.